0: Good morning, church. Uh, thank you, band, very much. Can you guys give these guys a round of applause? We're talking this month about uh, being made and created to make a difference, and uh, these guys get up here, and uh, it's it's incredibly hard. Uh, I know as as an artist, musician. Not I don't know it personally. I'm not a musician. But it's incredibly hard to take that ability and that skill and to, um, to set aside your, your ego. Um, as with anybody, any, any of us, when, when we're good at something, when we have a skill, to set aside that ego and, and to really pour it out to God. And when these guys take the stage, um, they're not here as our worship leaders, they're here as our lead worshipers. And, and there's an incredible difference there. Um, they set the tone, they set the pace, the example for us out here in the audience of what it means to worship God. And one of the things that, that Nate teaches in First Step, our, our new member class, is that oftentimes we bring, this. by the way, this is a free sermon. This is not what I'm talking on this morning. Um, we, we bring into, this is just what God put on my heart as I was taking the stage. <clears throat> we, we bring into the church um, the same mindset we have when we go to a, a, a movie or a baseball game or a, a theater production of some sorts. And he talks about this in First Step, that, that we come in and there's the audience, there's the stage actors, and then there's somebody or behind the stage, the director, the producer, and making sure everything goes. And unfortunately, too often, we bring that into a worship service. And we come in and, and we think, okay, we're here to observe and to, to enjoy an experience. And that's not why we're here. Uh, we're here to be a part of the experience, to pour out our hearts and our minds to God. Um, as Nate says, he is the audience of one that we come to worship in. And so when you come in here this, on Sunday mornings, um, be sure, don't, don't, don't bother with what people around you are thinking about you. Uh, Worship with abandon. Pour pour your heart out to God. And if that means raising your hands, you raise your hands. If that means you fall down on your knees before God, you fall down on your knees because you're here for an audience of one. Not for anybody else here, not for the people on stage, not for us as the pastors. You're here for God. To tell him how much you love him, to pour out your heart to him, and allow him to shape you into who he wants you to be. Let's pray. We're done. No, uh, thank you guys uh, for being here this morning. Um, I wanted to to talk to you a little bit this morning and uh, let you know that uh, I am a people watcher. I I love watching people. Um, Karen and I, we we go to airports like in the mandatory two or three hours ahead of time, right? Um, As soon as they said that, that was like awesome because we are always on time to everything. We try to be late and we arrive on time. Um, I don't know how we do it. And uh, so when they told us, you know, hey, new things, you need to be at the airport two hours ahead of time, I'm like, perfect. That feeds into our our, uh, our, our kind of personality. And, and it gives me an opportunity to sit and watch. And I sit in one of those those chairs closest to the aisle where everybody's walking down the concourse, and I just watch people. Um, I go to train stations. I was up in Chicago earlier this year, and, and had my brother was running a little late from work, and he was meeting us at the train station, and he called, and I'm like, cool, I get to watch more people. And I just sat on a bench in the side of this busy thoroughfare of people coming on and off the trains and, and just watch these people. And uh, I, I just I find it fascinating. And, and maybe that's why I like Facebook so much. Um, you guys heard me talk about Facebook. I'm on there probably a little too much. People say I'm addicted, but hey. Um, I just love being able to kind of peek into people's lives and see what's going on. I mean, you see all of the human drama unfold. You see, you see incredible things. I mean, people are, are, are amazingly transparent on Facebook. Um, and yeah, there's people that put up fake, uh, you know, false fronts and, and lie and do, make themselves look better. But there's, there's, most of the people I've found are incredibly honest on Facebook. And it allows you to kind of peek into their lives a little bit. Um, I uh, <laughs> was having dinner last night with uh, uh, Nate uh, Carl Figg, Carl and Holly invited Nate and uh, his family and Karen and I and our family over for dinner. And uh, I figured it was either Pastor Appreciation Month or we were in trouble. Um, because Carl's our boss, technically. And uh, so either you know, we're getting fired or he wanted to say thank you. Uh, wasn't sure which one. But we're having this conversation last night around dinner. And, and, and kind of the two words that Nate and I landed on as we talked about Facebook is, is that it's, it's voyeuristic in a way, um, not in, a, in a, an unhealthy fashion, but, but you can peek into people's lives, and it's also narcissistic, let's, let's just be honest, right, I mean, we all love to say, hey, look what I did, I mean, I, I, I ran 3.1 miles in 2256, and first thing I did, posted it on Facebook, so everybody can go, hey, Chris, you know, we, let's just be honest, we're narcissistic, and uh, Facebook allows us to be that, um, but people amaze me, they really do. I mean, people are fascinating. Uh, It was Shakespeare, the great bard, who said, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. When when you look at at all of humanity, and and you pause to consider that every human being is made in the image of God, now now we could pause there, because there, there's some, some incredible uh, impacts there. If we really understood that every human being is made in the image of God, if we really accepted that, and we also really accepted that every, every human being, uh, that Christ died for every human being, if we were to stop and consider those two things, the people that annoy us the most, the people that make us the most upset, the people we don't like at all, they're made in the image of God. And Christ died for that person just like he died for you. There's incredible implications there. That's a whole other sermon. I won't get into that today. Uh, but if, if we pause to consider that we are all made in the image of God, and yet every one of us has been uniquely crafted by God, there are some incredible implications. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 13. And it's not going to be on your screen. But for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made." And now, if you're like me, all of the information you know about DNA, you learn from CSI, right? I mean, everything we know about DNA and the DNA fingerprint and the human genome, um, we may think we're smart, but we really just watch CSI and uh, talk about it that way. But I, I want to do a little research because, you know, I think that all of human beings, we're all kind of like snowflakes. We share some similar features, but deep down inside, we're all incredibly different. So here's what I found out about DNA and the human genome. Um, A personal genome is this on your screen? Yes. A personal genome sequence is a complete sequencing of the chemical base pairs that make up the DNA of a single person. Okay, I I took chemistry. I'm starting to, that makes sense a little bit to me. Uh, But then it goes on to say, The size of an individual gene or an organism's entire genome is often measured in base pairs because DNA is usually double-stranded, that double helix thing we always see. Hence, the number of total base pairs is equal to the number of nucleotides in one of the strands with (laughs) the obvious exception of non-coding single-stranded reasons of telomeres. Why did they even need to tell us that? The haploid human genome, which is 23 chromosomes, is estimated to be about 3 billion base pairs long, and to contain 20,000 to 25,000 distinct genes. And every person's DNA code is different. Now, that may not mean a lot to you, those numbers and the human genome and all that stuff. So let me give you, let me give you a comparison. Everybody's bought one of those uh, assemble-it-yourself pieces of furniture, Right? You get it home, it's got all these different pieces and the bolts and the nuts and the hex screws and all of these things and, and the little itty-bitty screwdriver they think you can really use. And uh, so we, we get this home and we unpack it and then we start to put this thing together and it always has that instruction manual with it, right? Well, let's imagine that you are a piece of furniture, okay? And that, that God one day decides he's going to knit you together in your mother's womb. And so God pulls out your instruction manual, your, your manual for creating you. This instruction manual, for you alone, would be over 1 billion words long. This is your DNA. It would be over 1 billion words long. And that instruction manual that God uses would be bound in 5,000 volumes, each one 300 pages long. Now, a copy of this manual, all 5,000 volumes, is contained in almost every cell of your body. That is how unique you are. And when God gets done with that instruction manual because that instruction manual is only good for you, he throws it away, he breaks the mold, and he writes a new one for the next person. Every person is unique physically. Every person is is unique in the eyes of God. Here's what I'm trying to say. Fill in your blank here. God made you an original. There is no one else on the face of the earth like you. We've all been designed by God, and when you combine our physical uniqueness our DNA, our our core structure of who we are, when you combine our physical uniqueness with everything that we have ever seen and everything that we have ever done and everything that's ever been done to us, there is no other person in the world like you. Uh, As Bill said earlier, we're in this series called Made, and the subtitle there is Created to Make a Difference. And God wants us wants to leverage our uniqueness to make a difference in the world. He doesn't want us to just keep it to ourselves, but he wants us to use it to make a difference for him in the world. And Bill's been talking about this acronym called SHAPE, and it stands for spiritual gifts, your heart, what are you passionate about, your abilities, we all have these innate abilities, and, and your personality and your experiences, both the good and the bad, your education and, and, and where you grew up, and all of these things that come together. And those five factors... Blend together to create a unique you. And God looks at that and says, I can use that. If we will but allow Him to, God says, I want to work through you to make a difference in the world. Today I want to talk to you about personality, the P in shape. Webster defines personality as the totality of an individual's behavioral and emotional characteristics. The totality, so all of who we are, of an individual's behavioral, how we act, and our emotional characteristics, how we feel. Now, when you think about your friends and family, there are certain behavioral and emotional characteristics that stand out. Uh, I'm just going to kind of walk through my family with you and talk about our personalities. Um, I am an extrovert. I I have no problem standing in front of people and talking. I love crowds. I love being with people. Um, I make friends very easily. About 12 years ago, I met a guy by the name of Steve. Uh, This was back in my previous church. I was a a member of the church, and this uh, new worship minister came on staff. And the very last minute, he gets on the bus to go to Promise Keepers Conference, and he was the only other guy my age. So we hung out, like, all weekend. We skipped most of the sessions and went to hang out together and play video games. Um, It was great. And uh, I get home, and I say to Karen, I'm like, man, Steve, that that new guy, you know, man, he and I, we just hit it off. It's going to be incri- I think we're going to be really good friends for a long, long time. And she looks at me and she goes, "Chris, you can make friends with a lamppost." <laughs> I was like, what, is that, "What does that mean for Steve?" <laughs> yeah. But I, I make friends very easily. Um, I'm, I'm very decisive. Uh, I, I'll make a decision. I'm, I'm very goal-oriented. i got to have things ahead of me that I'm pursuing. Karen, she's a realist. Um, I would tend to lean towards the pessimist side for her, uh, but we'll be positive here this morning. she's a realist. And she's also very content. I mean, she, you know, you talk to Karen, she's like, what are are your dreams, what are your aspirations? And she's like, I don't know, kind of like life how it is right now. And I'm, you know, I'm the goal-oriented person. I'm like, come on, we got to have some challenge ahead of us. Uh, My son, Ethan, he's uh, he's seven, he'll be eight here pretty soon. He is very tender-hearted. Man, you just, you see it in him. He's very compassionate. He's very people-oriented. He's 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 got to have people around him. Um, if he has to go off and do something by himself, first of all, he won't. And secondly, if you force him to, he just he gets depressed. He loves to be around people. Morgan, my little girl, um, she's the opposite of Ethan. She is very independent. Um, she just wants to be by herself most of the time, and, and sometimes we're allowed to love her and to be in her presence, and those are great moments. Um, we, we go to bed at night, and there are nights, literally, where I come into her bedroom, and she will, she will look up at me and go, no. Like, I, I just, I just want to kiss my little girl, you know? Is that so wrong? And she's like, no. And I'm like, wow. She, you know, she's, she's independent. She's assertive. But the reality is that everything we do is touched at some level by our personality, the people we like and the people we don't like. The things we think are funny and the things we don't think are funny. The people we get along with at work and, and the people we don't get along with at work. The way our marriages go, the way we handle conflict, the way we handle change. All of this is connected back to our personality. And there's no, there's no good or bad personality. There's no right or wrong personality. There's just different. Let me, let me play this out for you in my family. Uh, this past weekend, we had a free weekend. N- nothing going on, really. No major plans. And so our personalities came into play. My thought was, we have free weekend, free time. I'm an extrovert. I'm socially oriented. I want to do something big and amazing. So I wanted to either get together with a bunch of people, or I wanted to go out and do something incredibly, you know, awesome. And it had to be decided now, what we were doing. Okay? So, like, free weekend. Like, what are we going to do, Karen? And she goes, well, we have a list of projects to do at home that really, since we have a free weekend, should probably be done. And, and maybe we should just stay home because we don't really have money and, and to spend on things like that. And you know what? Let's just have some family time. Okay? <laughs> Ethan, he doesn't really care what we do as long as we all do it together. You know, he just doesn't want to be by himself. Morgan, she doesn't care what everybody else is doing. She's doing her own thing. Um, she, she's off somewhere in the house, and, uh, and she, if we decide something other than what she wants to do, she's going to let us know that she disagrees, and, uh, and very loudly, and typically throwing things uh, as well. But here's the reality. Since we are created to make a difference in the world, our challenge is to tap into our unique personality and to allow God to use that for him. Uh, along with our, our spiritual gifts, our heart, what we're passionate about, our abilities, our experiences. When you mix in our personality, we begin to see ourselves how God sees us. And we need to discover how to tap into that to be used by God. So let me give you this morning three things that I think are going to help you tap into your personality and why it's important to understand your personality. Uh, number one, it helps us understand ourselves, it, it really does. I mean, if if you want to know yourself better, which I think is the the first job we have as human beings, is to know ourselves better, uh, then you have to understand your personality. Uh, Inside your bulletin, you've been filling in the blanks. Um, This is a little larger than normal. Go ahead and open this up. And you'll see inside here... Uh, There's some more information on the inside of your bulletin insert. Now, many of you have heard of the Myers-Briggs personality study. Um, This one I like because it's a little more fun, and it's a little more memorable. I never remember what the IDJSE, you know, XYZ, PDQ thing is. And so, Lion, Beaver, Otter, Golden Retriever. That was a joke, and that just bombed. Wow. (laughs) Note to self, do not ad-lib jokes. Um... (laughs) So, so we have to understand ourselves. And so we have four personality strengths here. And I just want to go through these with you. And, and what you're going to see is that one of these probably is going to stand out to you more than the other three. Typically what you'll see is that there are, are, are two primary personality types out of these four that you'll see in your own life. A, a primary and the secondary. And what I want you to do is, is not skip ahead. Don't, you know, jump, well, I'm not a lion, I'm just going to read the otter. Don't do that because it's also good to know what you're not. Because you need to know your strengths and you need to know your weakness. You need to know your personality and what personalities you're not. So let's talk a little bit about the lion. Lion, the greatest strengths, he's a strong leader. He's decisive, goal driven, independent, self reliant. Uh, A lion, she's confident, she's competitive, she's assertive. Now, as with anything, there's also weaknesses. Uh, the greatest weakness of the lion is they're bossy, they're pushy, they can be domineering, they're a poor listener. They're headstrong, they're, they're quick-tempered, they're not open with their feelings, they're argumentative, they'll win at all costs, they're insensitive. Their primary agenda, lion, is to be in control. Uh, I am a lion. The lion is my primary uh, personality type. And the strengths come out because in, in the absence of leadership, I will step up. I will rise into that role. If people are not willing to make a decision, if somebody's not willing to take charge, I will do so. Um, I, I was helping out in a uh, volunteer thing, moving some stuff, and I was just one of many faces. I wasn't in charge, and I, I kind of knew what was going on, but not really. Well, we're all kind of staying around, and nobody's willing to make a decision. Nobody's willing to take charge. I'm like, hey, the lion in me rose up. I'm like, we're going to do this. And I start telling people I have no idea who they are. It's the first time i ever met them. I'm like, you go do this, you go do this, you go do this, I'll do this, and we'll come together. And they, they appreciated it. It was, it was good. Um, now, on the flip side... The lion has weaknesses. Um, I've been here two years. I've had two performance reviews. Uh, the weaknesses of the lion have been noted in my performance review. Um, the, the first performance review, uh, Bill sat me down and he said, you know, Chris, and he lists off, you know, in, hundreds and thousands of great things about me. Um, <laughs> humility was the first, of course. Um, he, he lists off all of these things that, that are re- going really well and, and strong. And he says, but here's some things you need to be pay attention to. He's like, you have a big personality. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know that. And he's like, when you walk into a room, everybody knows you're there. Like, you want to be known. you got to be seen. you got to be involved. And he goes, and that's that's a good thing. He's like, but when we're in a leadership conversation, everybody knows what Chris thinks we should do. Everybody knows what Chris is. Lisa, why are you elbowing Chris? My coworkers are going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And he goes, everybody knows what, what you think we should do. And he goes, the problem is, Chris, you tend to, to domineer conversation at times. You, you tend to overpower other people and, and, and not really pay attention to what they're saying. All right, I'll, I'll work on that. Sorry. It's a second year. That didn't come up, but the fact that I was a poor listener came up. And he said, "He said, you know, you, you know what direction you want to go. You know to where we need to go. And oftentimes people don't feel like they've been heard when when they, they talk to you. And uh, he he said, maybe it's you're not listening. Maybe it's because you can process things so quickly. I, I lean towards that. That you know you just you know the decision. And uh, he said, so work on your listening. So a lion has both strengths and weaknesses, and I've seen that play out in my life. The, the beaver." Uh, The greatest strengths of the beaver is accurate and thorough. They have an attention to detail and quality. Uh, They're orderly and organized. They're schedule-oriented, and they're idealistic. Greatest weaknesses, the standards are often too high. They spend too much time planning. They're depressed over imperfections. They're not people-oriented. They're critical of others and self. The main agenda of the beaver is to have everything in order. Um, Beaver is my secondary personality type. Uh, Until recently, if you'd gone into my office, you'd see a whiteboard with 18 months of calendars printed out with every meeting, every phone call, every email that had to be sent out um, for this whole small group semester strategy. Like laying out, like this week I need to call this person, this week we need to have this meeting, don't forget about this over here, and the only reason it's not there now is because it's now in my PDA, my BlackBerry, and so I've got all that information in there. If you go into my office now and you look at my whiteboard, um, I've got plans for the fall of 2010, I'm already up on the board, like week by week, through the months of September, October, November, December, what we're doing, and, and who's doing what. I mean, that's, that's just me, I, I live and breathe organization in detail. Now on the flip side of that, a weakness of mine is that I get critical of others if they don't follow the plan. If the plan breaks down or somebody doesn't play their part in the plan, you know, I'll I'll put on a good face, I'm like, oh, that's all right. Inside I'm going, dang it, step up, dude, seriously, do your job, you know, I never say that, but till now, um, but, but, you know, I tend to be a little overly critical. I spend a little too much time planning out some of those details, and uh, Bill will walk into my office and I'm like, hey, look at my whiteboard. He just starts shaking his head, you know? So the beaver, attention to detail. The otter, greatest strengths, enthusiastic and expressive, fun loving and spontaneous, relational, good with people, inspires others to join. They're optimistic, they don't hold grudges. Their greatest weakness, they speak before thinking, they're undisciplined, they're disorganized. They won't negotiate the best deal. They need approval of others. Uh, They decide without facts. They're oftentimes naive and get taken in. Primary agenda of an otter. You ever seen otters play in the wild? I mean, they just go and they slide down the mud bank into the river, and what do they do? They get back out, and they do it again. They get back out, and they do it again. Primary agenda of the otter is to have fun. Now, I used to think that my secondary was otter. Um, I used to think I was a lion otter. And it wasn't until earlier this year we were on a camp out, and uh, one of my good friends, she's been studying personality stuff. And, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a lion otter. She goes, no, you're not. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. She goes, you're a lion and a beaver who wants to be an otter. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Can I get a diagram of that? I need a whiteboard for that. And, and, and she really got me thinking about it. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be the otter Is probably my, my secondary uh, personality type. But, you know, I see some of those characteristics in me. But the lion and the beaver are definitely primary and secondary. Uh, The golden retriever, the greatest strengths is, is loyalty. They get along with everyone. They're a good listener and mediator. They're steady, balanced, and reliable. They're very content, and they have administrative ability. Their greatest weaknesses, they're easily taken advantage of, they're too compromising. They carry others' burdens, Uh, they're complacent, they lack motivation, Uh, they resist change. Uh, A a Golden Retriever is going to be the last one to buy a Bluetooth Um, and it's after everybody else in the world has bought a Bluetooth and the new technology has come out, then they'll buy the Bluetooth. Um, They're unenthusiastic, they're not inspirational or visionary. Um, Their primary agenda is to have everyone at peace. My wife is a Golden Retriever. Take the characteristics of the lion and the Golden Retriever and set them side by side and we have an interesting marriage. Um, 14 years, we're still working this out. But uh, how many of you would say that your primary is the lion? Raise your hand. Okay. What about the, uh, the beaver? Otter? Golden retriever? That is incredible. It, the, the statistics are, are amazing. In the, the general population, the majority of people are golden retrievers. Like the vast majority of people are golden retrievers. They, they like things steady, balanced, they're content, uh, they don't like a lot of change, they don't want to mix things up. Uh, but, so, so as we start to understand our personality, we start to tap into this for God, it helps us to understand ourselves. Secondly, it helps us to understand and adapt to others. When you understand the personalities of the people around you, you'll discover that you extend more grace and patience and mercy to those people. Uh, as I said, Karen is a golden retriever beaver. Uh, I'm a lion beaver who wants to be an otter, evidently. Um, Karen doesn't like surprises. Hates surprises. Uh, there, there's got to be a stronger word than hate because, I mean, she loathes surprises. Um, and, and she hates spending money. Uh, she's very frugal, and she, she's learned that from her mom, um, which are, are, are both good things, I guess. Um, but they're opposite of who I am. And so I'm going, okay... Uh, throughout my marriage, I'm the, ro- you know, I'm the mainly romantic one, so I want to do incredible things for Karen. I'm, remember, I'm goal-oriented and, and big picture, big vision. Um, I want to do great things. So Karen went away to Hearts at Home Conference uh, several years back and uh, went with one of her friends, and, and her friend was in on this uh, with me, which I don't know why she didn't warn me. This was going to bomb. Um, so I thought, you know, while she's away for about 36 hours, I'm going to do that whole TLC while you were out thing to our home. And redo our house. And so I, I had um, gone away for a weekend and actually built an entertainment center for us. And my, my stepdad was bringing it up during that 36 hours. And, and I had all my friends come over and we repainted the entire living room, um, the kitchen, the cabinetry, um, everything. Rearranged it, our entire house. My, my favorite was the purple accent wall. Yeah. It was like, like goldenrod throughout the rest of the house. And then like one purple wall. Uh, which I thought was pretty cool. So Karen comes home. um, She's incredibly tired from this conference. A great experience, but incredibly tired. It's late at night, and she walks into her home, and her walls are goldenrod and purple and green and white cabinets, and there's a new piece of furniture, and everything's rearranged. And then all these people are there. Remember, she's a loner. She's independent. She wants to be by herself. But my family and my friends are all there. We're like, surprise! And she's like, oh, my, yay! (laughs) And we go to bed that night. Not in our bed, because we had family staying overnight, and we gave them our bed, so we're sleeping on the on the pullout hide hide-a-bed. And uh, the, the excitement soon turned to frustration and anger. <laughs> she could not believe that I did that. Now, as if you would think I would learn from that, but I don't. Um, so a couple years ago, Kara was incredibly stressed, you know, just a lot of time spent with, with kids and needed a break. So, me being the lion and and wanting to be an otter, I thought, you know, the best thing for her is to to send her away to Houston, Texas, to her friend, and to stay there for like four or five days with her friend and her husband, and and just get away from us for a few days. And so, on her birthday, um, she opens this card, and inside the card is an airline ticket, round trip to Houston. I've already coordinated with her boss, so she has the time off. Made all these arrangements. I've got time off. I'm gonna stay with the kids. This is a great thing. Brownie points for her husband, right? In front of her family, she'd expressed her dismay. And I was like, oh, this is not good. I'm like, you're gonna have fun. You're just gonna have a blast, and, and, and she did. She had a great time, but it was incredibly stretching for her. It was not her style, not her personality. And, and I've, just, I've got to discover someday that Karen doesn't like surprises and she doesn't like money. So earlier this year for her birthday, I took her to Taco Bell and I bought her a Snuggie. One of those stupid blankets with sleeves, right? If any of you guys ever wear one of those to a football game, I will make fun of you to no end. But they do it in commercials. And, but, but in the envelope, you know, before she opens the Snuggie, Um, The envelope opens up and says, happy birthday. I love you, honey. Um, I got a great gift for you. Think warm thoughts. I'm thinking about the Snuggie. Her mind went to Houston. And so she looks up from this birthday card where it says, think warm thoughts. And she's like piercing my soul with death stare. And she's like, what'd you do? I'm like, I'm it back because I'm like, well, I, I bought you a Snuggie. I'm taking you to Taco Bell. I'm like, I didn't surprise you or spend money. And she opened up the Snuggie and and she understood and it was all it was all good. So so understanding others' personality in our families helps us adapt and relate to them and extend a little grace and peace to them, mercy. Now, it also works in the workplace. Uh, when you begin to understand your coworkers' personalities, uh, you begin to understand how they approach things and, and, and how, they, how they would solve problems and handle things. And it extends grace and mercy and peace to them. Um, earlier this year, we had a, a leadership gathering, our leadership team, our administrative council, our pastors, and all of our families. We all got together and we had fun here at the church. And uh, we, we had some games built into this. And one of the games, th- this, this game just really brought out the personality of the four pastors. Um, They blindfolded all four of us pastors, they sat us on chairs, this is outside, they sat us in chairs, and uh, had like a a, a 30-yard gap between other chairs on the other side, and our wives were behind those chairs, and the object of the game is that we were supposed to listen, which I don't do well, Um, (laughs) we're supposed to listen for our wives' voice, And they're supposed to direct us to the chairs. Well, as they're blindfolding us, they're explaining all this. They're putting out cones out there, little obstacles, things like that, that we're supposed to carefully avoid. They're like this tall. So I get the idea that as soon as they say go, as soon as they say go, I'm just going to high-knee it over these cones. I mean, they're only like this big. If I smash one, big deal, whatever. And I'm just going to bolt in the general direction where Karen is. And when I get closer she'll like shout for me to stop and, and I'll find her chair. Well, what they didn't tell us was that, uh, Bill said he heard this, the other three of us didn't hear this, what, what they didn't tell us was they were putting small children <laughs> out in there as obstacles as well. We didn't know that. And so here I am, you know, about 250 pounds at that point, like barreling through, and I like bounce into some kid that I thought was like, for some reason, running across the course. I'm like, what an idiot, why are they coming across the course? Well, it was their parents that put them out there. And so we get to our chair, and I rip off my blindfold, and like two hours later, Bill sits down in his chair. And, and uh, we got to talk about that later. And it was just incredible to see the, the pastor's personalities come out, because Nate did the same thing. Nate and I both like high-kneed across this thing. Dan and Bill. Looking around. Is Bill here? My performance review is coming up in June. So... But you begin to see their personality. And when, and when you approach things that are not just humorous, but, but maybe uh, a little confrontation, a little stressful, and you begin to see how your coworkers respond, if you understand their personality type, you can go, oh, that's, that's the otter coming out in them. Or that's, that's the golden retriever coming out in them. And you begin to understand them better. And you begin to adapt to each other. So you need to understand yourself. You need to understand others. Understanding our personality also helps to direct us to tasks that fit us best. Uh, there are certain things that God will call you to do as a direct result of your personality. There are certain, certain callings, certain tasks that God will put before you that he won't put before other people because you have a different personality than other people. Uh, for example, you know that I'm an extrovert. I have no problem being in front of people and, and leading and teaching. Um, I, I don't do well if you put me in a back room and give me a, a repeated task over and over. I mean, I'll do it. I'm, I'm willing to serve in that capacity. But I just don't feel like I thrive in that environment. Um, You know, Karen, she's an introvert with a servant's heart. She loves to hold babies, and she loves to to, uh, help in the kitchen and prepare meals for special events and things like that. And so you put her in those two environments, and she does phenomenally well. Now, you put her on stage and ask her to talk... And, I mean, I tried. You know, I'm telling stories all about her. I wanted you to hear her side. So I'm like, hey, honey, why don't you come up this Sunday and, and talk with me? And I think it would be really cool. She's kind of staring at me like, do you not know who I am? You know, this is not going to work. Uh, for some of you, uh, you, you, you're not a leader or a teacher. You're not an upfront person. But you're an incredible shepherd. You're an, an incredible counselor. And, and, and you know how to come alongside people who are struggling you know how to come alongside a, a couple who's struggling in their marriage. Um, you know what to say and what to do when when, you go to the ho- when when somebody's in the hospital and you need to go visit them. Um, I, I, I struggle with that. I'm just being honest. I mean, I, I counsel people and I go to hospitals, but I, I just struggle with that. I mean, you come into my office for counseling, my method is get over and get on with it. I'm just sorry. I, I mean, I have mercy and I'm compassionate if you're hurting, but if you're just stuck in the same old rut and you're doing the same dumb things... Get over it. You know. You know what you need to do. Just do it. So don't come to me for counseling. Um, if, if you're in the hospital, um, I'll come visit you. But I'm generally gonna like lean against the wall because I'm afraid if I if I touch you, something's gonna come unplugged and you'll die. Um, I'm just I, I'm a little skittish around hospitals. But there are some of you out there that are just incredibly gifted in that and you sit down with somebody, and they're going through a hard time, and you know what to say, and you know how to come alongside and encourage them, and you need to leverage that in the church. You need to, you need to be available for us to say, you know, hey, Joe, can, can you go to the hospital? Tom's in there, and he, he's, he's really hurt, and He's in bad, a bad, bad accident. He's having surgery, whatever. Can you go and encourage him? You know, um, Joe and Alice, um, can you sit down with, with Tom and Sally? They're struggling in their marriage, and I know you've had some problems in the past, but can, can you sit down and share with them how you came through all those struggles? Some of you have that personality and that giftedness. Uh, some of you, uh, you're like me, you don't counsel, but you're incredible organizers. Um, you, you can plan an event like nobody else. And you need to leverage that in the church. We have, we have different events that we do, Married Life Live coming up, where we need people and we need to tap into you as an event planner. And, and you'll think of details that, that the rest of us will never even fathom imagining that it had to be done. And you'll go, oh, hey, did we Did we do this? You're like, oh, yeah, that, that would make this event successful. Uh, some of you can't organize your sock drawer, um, but you're you're incredible at fixing things and building things. And we need to leverage you in the church to help with the, the management of the campus, second Saturday service projects. We go out and we re-roof buildings and we build all of this stuff. You, know, you need to use that giftedness and that personality. Uh, some of you, um, you, you're like me, you're not a handyman, um, but you... you you can teach kids. You can relate to kids and to students in such an incredible way. And, and you need to allow God to use that in you to impact the lives of, of small children in the church, in our middle school and our high school students. Now, it's not just in the church. I, I don't want you to ever think that God designed you and made you only so you can work in the church, only can you use you, you, that you can use your shape here in the church. We are called to make an impact in the world. We're called to be the salt and the light. And so we need to serve out in the community as well. We need to leverage our giftedness and our personalities in the community. Um, You've heard me talk about it before. I serve as a scout leader uh, here in Germantown Hills. Have a history in Cub Scouts, love it. Well, I I have the opportunity to teach boys about character and integrity and commitment, sacrifice. And we get to do it in a a fun way. And we get to influence parents. I I get to, to model for them and challenge them to be engaged with their kids on a regular basis. Uh, some of you that are counselors, you need to partner with local organizations to serve as, as encouragers and shepherds uh, of kids and adults. Some of you that are organizers, you need to partner with schools and organizations. Make sure that special events that go on in our community are just absolutely incredible. Some of you that are, are repairmen, you need to look for opportunities to serve your neighbors, to help with, with home repairs and, and to, to make their lives better. Look for ways to, to partner with other organizations uh, to do that some of you that are teachers, you need to begin to mentor and teach kids and adults in the community. Partner with a literacy program. Partner with an after-school or before-school program and use your giftedness to influence kids to help them have a better life. Now, in all of this, in all of this, the key is that you weave in your faith. When you begin to serve outside the walls of the church, it's, it's easy for some reason in the church to weave our faith into what we do. But when we begin to go out in the community, You've got to weave your faith in there with your words, your actions, your lifestyle. You've got to understand your personality. You've got to understand your shape. And you've got to allow God to tap into that to make a difference in this world. The next two Sundays, we're going to have a ministry fair uh, in here in the back of this. You're going to have an opportunity to hear about how we as a church provide opportunities for you to leverage your shape and to make a difference in this world, and how we take it outside the walls of the community and how you can be a part of that as well. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that these next two Sundays. Um, this week, my challenge to you: sit down with this, discover your your personality type, discover your primary and your secondary. Ask your spouse, your friends, your kids. Um, it's it's neat to see. Morgan is definitely a lion. Um, that whole assertive word there—that is—that is her. Ethan, he's a golden retriever. I mean, he just wants things calm, peaceful. I mean, he's very loyal. He wants to get along with everybody. Um, Discover your personalities, types, and allow God to leverage that. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.